Our sermon text this morning is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you have a Bible, um, I want to invite you to turn there with me as I read. Um, Once again, that is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Greetings, EBF. For those that don't know me, my name is Tim Allen, and I am so thrilled to be able to start this week as your new lead pastor. This is the culmination of so much prayer and so much hard work, and it really is a joyful occasion. My my family and I are so excited to be starting, although it is somewhat of a surreal moment as well. Uh, to be starting remotely from Colorado and to be to be filming this. I just want to reach out and I want to greet every single one of you. And I look forward to doing so. Uh, over the course of the next few weeks, I'd love to video chat with as many of you as possible. Would just love to connect in whatever way that we can. Um, a couple ways that you can be praying for us in this time is one, that we would finish our time here in Colorado well. We have had multiple celebrations and it's a been a great send-off, but we're also the more mourning the relationships that we have here, but also excited about what is to come. Pray for us too in our housing process. We do think that we have a, a promising lead there in the area, but uh, pray that God would go before us in that. And also just pray for our family uh, in this in this season of transition. As a church, I am so excited about us lifting our gaze of centering on the gospel of Jesus Christ, of fixing our eyes on Jesus, of carrying out the mission he has given us of multiplying disciples among all people. And I'm so excited to be able to partner with you in the gospel from the first day, from the very first day. And I admit, I'm not always going to get it right. I'll be the first to admit that. And so I would just welcome your grace, your compassion, if you, are, if you have questions or concerns that come up, maybe even from something that I share in a message, come directly to me. Uh, I have an open door policy. I'd love to connect with uh, whoever and if there is something that uh, you would like to discuss. Let us 
fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. One of the most important passages for my, myself and also uh, in our marriage is Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. In fact, Danielle and I chose this to be the foundational passage for our marriage. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray together. Gracious God, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, we humbly ask for the spirit of wisdom, of revelation and the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us, O Lord the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us. As we open your word this day, fill us with your spirit, soften our hearts that we might delight in your presence, sharpen our minds that we may discern your truth, O Lord, shape our wills that we may desire your ways, through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed how preoccupied people can be with, well, people? (laughs) We're so easily starstruck by the biggest celebrities or maybe the most important athletes. Maybe this is why People magazine routinely outsells time and Sports Illustrated outsells popular mechanics. You don't have to look much further than the number of Twitter followers or Instagram followers that celebrities and athletes have. We want to know who people are and what they're up to. We want to know what makes them tick and maybe what ticks them off as well. Perhaps God had this in mind when he chose to reveal himself, not in an idea, not in a philosophy, but in a person, his son, Jesus Christ. In a world full of confusion about who Jesus is, two very, very important questions arise. And we're going to look at those those together this morning. And the first is, How should we properly understand who Jesus is? And secondly, what has he done for you and for me? Where should we look for answers to these questions? Well, I would suggest not in People magazine, not in Sports Illustrated, certainly not Twitter or Instagram. How about the best-selling book of all time, God's Word? I invite everyone to turn with me to Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And in our time together this morning, we're going to focus on the heart and hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The book of Colossians get its name from the ancient city of Colossae, located in modern-day Turkey. Colossae had a diverse population and was exposed to many different views on religion and philosophy. Paul, the author, was like a spiritual grandfather to the Christian community and wrote from prison to encourage them to resist dangerous false teaching. Colossians 1 verses 1 through 14 urges us to display the power of the gospel, the gospel that is the good news of what God has done through Christ to rescue us and to reconcile us. We are encouraged to display the power of the gospel in those verses in what we say and what we do. 
And then in verse 14, Paul turns the focus onto Christ himself and sets the stage for a majestic and, dare I say, subversive poem in verses 15 through 20. I'm referring to the verses 15 through 20 as a poem because of its unique structure, rare words, and striking parallels. This poem is like taking a multifaceted diamond and turning it ever so slightly and watching the light dance brilliantly and reflect brilliantly through that diamond. We're going to explore this morning 10 facets of who Jesus is from this poem in verses 15 through 20, and then the application to that poem in verses 21 through 23. So let's dive into the heart and hope of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is this. First place belongs to Christ alone. First place belongs to Christ alone. Preeminent isn't a word that we use every day. Another word that we might use for that is supreme. Maybe the only time we use that word supreme is when we're ordering a pizza, but this is a word that is central to the text here. It basically means to be the highest rank or authority or to have first place. So first place belongs to Christ alone. The first facet we're going to see here in verses 15 through 17, and actually to back up in verses 15 through 17, what we see first is that Jesus is preeminent in creation. And then in verses 18 through 20, we're going to see how Jesus is preeminent in recreation. But the facets, these 10 facets, are sprinkled among both of those sections. So the first facet is this. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. If God is invisible, where can he be seen? Ultimately, Christ reveals who God is and what God does. Each one of the facets that we're going to look at here reveals more and more of what it means for Jesus to be the image of the invisible God. He is the one who makes the invisible visible. He is the definitive image of God. The Colossians were living in a world filled with images of Caesar, on coins, in the market, at gladiator games, on jewelry, in a world where the supremacy of Emperor Nero was strengthened by institutions, structures, and fear, this poem really is subversive. The emperor wanted to be worshipped as a god. But Paul asserts who the definitive image of God really is, and that is Christ. The Bible explains that we were created in the image of God in Genesis 1. But that image became marred because of our rebellion against God. For those who have trusted in Christ, that image is now being reclaimed over time. Christians are called to grow more and more into the perfect image of Christ. And so let's do a little reality check here. Over the past year, can you honestly say that you have become more like Christ? How have you seen growth in maturity over time? Does your life reveal more and more of who Christ is? to the people around you, to those that you interact with. Well, let's, let's turn that diamond and look at the next facet. Second, he is the firstborn of all creation. What does firstborn mean here? Well, one way to understand this is in the, the sense of rank. The rank structure of the U.S. Army starts with private, E1, which is where I started, from the very bottom and goes all the way up to the rank of five-star general. 
But there is a rank, believe it or not, there is a rank that is above this, the Supreme Allied Commander, a rank first held by General Eisenhower during World War II, and a rank that you'll, you'll find from time to time within NATO as well. Firstborn is like Paul's way of saying that Jesus is the Supreme Allied Commander over creation. And so we all must grapple with the question, is Jesus our Supreme Allied Commander? Do we take our marching orders from him? He has given us his word. His orders are found here for us to carry out, to obey and to carry out. Do you know what they are? Do you take them seriously? Are you living out the transformational power of the gospel? Well, let's turn that diamond and look at the next facet. The third one is that he is the one in whom all things were created. In verse 16, Paul gives the reason that Jesus is over all creation. For by him all things were created. The phrase, were created, points to the fact that God the Father is the ultimate creator. And it's difficult to understand exactly what verse, th verse 16 means, but what it does show is that Jesus was right there with the Father during the creation of all things. Everything in heaven and on earth is under Christ's control. Do you follow world news? Perhaps you are anxiously awaiting the results of the upcoming election. Daniel 2, 21 reminds us, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities are all under Christ's rule. Scripture is a lot more concerned about who God is and who we are in relation to God than exactly how God created all things. Our first responsibility truly as human beings is to realize our creatureliness. That might be a made up word, but to understand that God created us and loves us with an everlasting, steadfast, amazing, unfathomable love. Well, let's turn that diamond and look at the next facet. Fourth, he is the one through whom and for whom all things were created. God created all things through Christ and for Christ. All creation in human history move toward him. Here's a little quiz for us. What is the first letter of the Greek alphabet? I can't hear you. <laughs> Separated from a little distance, but yeah, that's right. Alpha. Okay, what's the last letter? Omega. That's right. Jesus says in Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. All things came into existence through Christ, and all things will experience perfect unity in the end. You know, we sometimes hear people say, I was made for this position, or maybe something like, I was born to play a guitar. Have you ever heard someone say, I was made for Christ? And yet that is the reality. We have meaning and purpose because we were made through Christ and for Christ. Let's turn that diamond and look at the fifth facet. In verse 17, he is before all things. He himself is before all things. He and no other. What does before all things mean? Well, if I say I arrived before you, what am I communicating? That's right, I'm referring to a sequence of time. By saying that Jesus is before all things, Paul shows that Jesus was here way before creation came into existence. And this is what highlights Christ's pre-existence. The next facet is 
closely coupled with this one. The sixth is that he is the sustainer of all things. Not only is he before all things, but he is the sustainer of all things. We see this in the later part of of, uh, verse 17. And in him all things hold together. In this context, the word for hold together means to cohere. It means to continue or endure. Jesus, rather than some idea or some philosophy, is the sustainer of the universe. Without him, everything would simply disintegrate. Take the atom, for example. Without Jesus, electrons would cease to circle nuclei. Or take gravity, for example. Without Jesus, it would be impossible for humankind to survive. And so are you looking to some other idea or philosophy for the unifying principle of the universe? Or maybe you think that everything is just matter and chance. Could it be that what holds the universe together is not an idea, not randomness, but a person, Jesus Christ? Well, from here, the poem then turns to a new theme. In verses 18 through 20, we see that Jesus is preeminent in recreation. Recreation. Simply what God has done through Christ to rescue fallen human beings. Four more facets here show how Jesus is preeminent or supreme in recreation. The first is that he is the head of the body, the church, verse 18. The body is a metaphor that Paul often uses to refer to the church. This verse highlights Christ's control over the body and the body's dependence upon him for all things. What happens to a body when the head is separated? That's kind of maybe a grotesque image. Uh, To quote Hamilton, uh, super dead, right? Super dead. The body depends upon the head for life or for power. No other earthly figure can claim headship over Christ's church. And so a question for us to wrestle with here is, have you placed a certain leader or a certain position on too high of a pedestal? It is so easy within Christianity for us to be starstruck as well. We have our own versions of celebrities. Let us instead remember that Christ is the head of the church. Even leaders within the church are considered under shepherds, under the chief shepherd, that is Christ himself. Let's turn the diamond and look at the next facet. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Paul uses beginning here to refer to Christ as the founder of the new creation. Firstborn from the dead is a reference to Christ rising from the dead. That is the resurrection. Christ's resurrection is what guarantees our future resurrection as well. He has gone before us. He has conquered sin and death. And now he cheers us on in the race of faith, just like we read about in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18 ends that in everything he might be preeminent. The word preeminent is absolutely central to this poem, as I mentioned. In both creation and redemption, first place belongs to Christ and to Christ alone. You know, there's a song called The First Place that I think just beautifully captures the essence of this truth. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, but Jesus, the perfect picture of the unseen God, maker of things we cannot comprehend. Wisdom 
The earth displays your strength and beauty. Sovereign, yes, every throne knows you are God. Every inch of this universe belongs to you, O Christ, for through you and for you it was made. Your creation endures by the order of your hand, so you must have in all things the first place. I love that. You must have. You must have in all things the first place. Let's turn that diamond and look at how he is the dwelling place of all God's fullness. Verse 19. Paul gives the reason in that verse for Christ's supremacy in creation and redemption. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God in all his fullness was pleased to take up residence in Christ. All of who God is, that is his attributes, and all of what God does, his his actions, his glory, his spirit, word, and wisdom are perfectly made known in the person of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 verse 9, Paul prays that God would fill the Colossians with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I have found myself praying daily for us as a church, for all of EBF, and I pray along similar lines that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Are you open and willing to being filled by God? Are you experiencing more and more of his fullness on a daily basis? Let's turn that diamond and look at the last facet. He is the one through whom reconciliation with God has occurred. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. Everything in this poem has been moving to this point. Reconciliation is another word that we don't necessarily use every day. What does it mean? Well, this may be more of a silly example, I guess, but I have to admit that I am a Cubs fan and my wife is a Sox fan. Yes, we are a a mixed marriage when it comes to that. But now let's say we get into a big argument about which team is better. What happens as a result? Hostility. What do we need? Peace. Reconciliation is simply making a ruptured relationship right. Making a ruptured relationship right. The text implies that a rupture has occurred that has ripped apart the very unity and fabric and harmony of all creation. And that rupture was the first sin recorded in Genesis 3. This rebellion, this sin came to affect and infect everything. Human beings, systems, institutions. Sin spread through us, not only as individuals, but also within communities and systems and everywhere in between. We need our relationship with God to be reconciled. And this explains the way that the reconciliation was accomplished by making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Christ's death on the cross, the entire creation has been brought back under God's sovereign rule, but the full peace is yet to come. Have you experienced this reconciliation? First and foremost with God. Has your relationship with God been made right? We have explored these majestic facets of who Jesus is, but what's the big deal? Does it really matter to us here and now? Well, in the two verses that follow, 
or the three verses that follow, Paul applies this poem to our lives. And this is really where the rubber meets the road for us. The hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel is that through Christ's death, we are reconciled to God. Through Christ's death, we are reconciled to God. This has past, present, and future implications that are all wrapped up in this. And so four key questions arise from these verses. Verses 21 to 23. First question is, who were we? Who were we? Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Like the Colossians, we were once alienated. We were once enemies of God. We were hostile to God because of the rupture that took place. We weren't good. We weren't mediocre. We weren't, we weren't even neutral. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might be thinking, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm pretty much a good person. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in life. Well, imagine with me, if you will, that due to the advances in technology, we are now able to plug the human brain into a computer like the Matrix, for instance, and reveal on the screen everything that you have ever said, thought, or done. Everything you have ever said about someone behind their back, everything you have thought about someone, uh, everything that you have ever done to someone, maybe uh, someone that ticked you off, we will see everything. And so who will be the first to volunteer to to get plugged in to reveal everything? There usually aren't a lot of takers when I pose a challenge such as that. No, see, you see, we were absolutely helpless. And we were in desperate need of reconciliation. As unbelievers, that is who we were. Could this actually be where you are today? Do you recognize that you are alienated from God? That you are, in fact, an enemy of God? Are you in desperate need of reconciliation? Second question, where are, who are we now? Who are we now? Look at the beginning of verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Here Paul describes the turning point where God works to bring about reconciliation through Christ's death on the cross. What is the message of the gospel? It's encapsulated well in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to many. How are we saved? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Like the Colossians, we have been reconciled through Christ. As believers, that is who we are now. Have you been saved by grace through faith? Have you come to experience God's perfect reconciliation? Acknowledge your sins before God and place your faith in Christ alone for salvation. The third question is this. Who will we be? Who will we be? In verse 22, Paul describes the purpose of this reconciliation. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Like the Colossians, we have been reconciled, but we look forward to that day when Christ will present us blameless before God. As believers, that is who we will be. Remember again, plugging into a computer 
Someday we will all stand before God and everything we've ever said, thought, or done will be revealed. For Christians, as each item appears on the screen, Jesus will say, my blood paid for that. Are you prepared for that final judgment? Do you look forward to that day? The fourth question is this, how should we then live? To borrow a question from Francis Chafer, how should we then live? Verse 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here, Paul gets to the root of his concern for the Colossians. He wants them to resist false teaching and to continue growing in the faith or the Christian faith. Continuing in the faith is the test of reality. Again, what does the text say? It says, if indeed you continue in the faith. We should take this, word, this verse to heart as a warning. True Christians don't just sit around. They don't just remain exactly the same. We are called to persevere. We are called to continue in the faith. Rooted, built up, established in the faith. Stable and steadfast, then, are metaphors that are related to the strength and the security of a building. As we are in the search for a new home, these are things that matters that we are certainly concerned about. The strength and stability of a structure. The foundation must be solid and the structure must be sound. Not shifting from then is a reference to the ground. We must not shift from the fixed hope of the gospel of Christ. Like the Colossians, we must persist in faith and maintain hope. As believers, that is how we should live now. Are you continuing in the faith? Perhaps you have seen a diagram like the one I'm about to describe that reveals what the Christian life looks like over time. At the beginning point, at the, at the cross, is where we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Christian life is one of ups and downs over time, but generally growth in, in uh, ups and downs over time, but growth in maturity. There will be high mountain peaks and there will be steep valleys. So where are you today? Perhaps you are experiencing one of those mountain peaks. Praise God. Continue in the faith. Maybe right now you're experiencing one of those deep valleys, a dark night of the soul. In the midst of that, praise God. Continue in the faith. Perhaps you are somewhere in between those two things. Praise God. Continue in the faith. Is your faith established and firm? Is Jesus Christ your foundation? How is your structural integrity? Let us not move from the fixed hope of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is this. First place belongs to Christ alone. And the hope of the gospel is that through Christ's death, we are reconciled to God. Have you embraced the heart and hope of the gospel? He must have in all things the first place. I would like to do something a little different here at the end and share a new translation, an expansion, a wonderful reimagining of the text by Brian Walsh. It's a little longer, maybe a little dated too, but bear with me because I believe it, just, it, it is just simply a wonderful reimagining, but also a challenge to us in our faith. It is a reimagining of Colossians 1 here. 
in an image-saturated world, a world of ubiquitous corporate logos permeating your consciousness, a world of dehydrated and captive imaginations in which we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to be able to dream of life otherwise. A world in which the empire of global economic affluence has achieved the monopoly of our imaginations. In this world, Christ is the image of the invisible God. In this world, driven by images with a vengeance, Christ is the image par excellence, the image above all other images, the image that is not a facade, the image that is not trying to sell you anything, the image that refers, refuses to co-opt you. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the image of God, a flesh and blood here and now in time and history with joys and sorrows, image of who God is, the image of God, a flesh and blood here and now in time and history with joys and sorrows, image of who we are called to be, image bearers of this God. He is the source of a liberated imagination, a subversion of the empire, because it all starts with him and it all ends with him. Everything, all things, whatever you can imagine, visible and invisible, mountains and atoms, outer space, human space, and cyberspace, whether it be the Pentagon, Disneyland, Apple, or Amazon, whether it be the institutionalized power structures of the state, the academy, or the market, all things have been created in him and through him. He is their source, their purpose, their goal, even in their rebellion, even in their idolatry. He is the sovereign one. Their power and authority is derived at best, parasitic at worst. In the face of the empire, in the face of presumptuous claims to sovereignty, in the face of the imperial idolatrous forces in our lives, Christ is before all things. He is sovereign in life, not the flashy dreams of the global market, not the idolatrous forces of nationalism, not the insatiable desires of a consumerist culture. In the face of a disconnected world where home is a domain in cyberspace, where neighborhood is a chat room, where public space is a shopping mall, where information technology promises a tuned-in, reconnected world, all things hold together in Christ. The creation is deeply personal cosmos, all cohering and interconnected in Christ. And this sovereignty takes on human flesh. And this coherence of all things is socially embodied in the church, against all odds, against most of the evidence. In a show-me culture where words alone don't cut it, the church is the flesh and blood here and now, in time and history with joys and sorrows, embodiment of this Christ. As a body politic, around a common meal, in alternative economic practices, in radical service to the most vulnerable, in refusal of the empire, in love of this creation, the church reimagines the world in the image of the invisible God. In the face of a dis disappointed world of betrayal, a world in which all fixed points have proven illusory, a world in which we are anchorless and adrift, Christ is the foundation, the origin, the way, the truth, and the life. In the face of a culture of death, a world of killing fields, a world of the walking dead, Christ is at the head of the resurrection parade, transforming our tears of betrayal into tears of joy, 
giving us dancing shoes for the resurrection party. And this glittering joker, who has danced in the dragon's jaws of death, now dances with a dance that is full of nothing less than the fullness of God. This is the dance of the new creation. This is the dance of life out of death. And in this dance, all that was broken, all that was estranged, all that was dislocated and disconnected, what once was hurt, what once was friction, is reconciled, comes home, is healed, and is made whole. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Everything, all things, whatever you can imagine, visible and invisible, Mountains and atoms, outer space, urban space, and cyberspace, every inch of creation, every dimension of our lives, all things are reconciled in Him. And it happens on a cross. It all happens at a state execution, where the governor did not commute the sentence. It all happens at the hands of the empire that has captured our imagination. It all happens through blood, not through a power grab by the sovereign one. It all happens in embraced pain for the sake of others. It all happens on a cross, arms outstretched in embrace. And this is the image of the invisible God. This is the body of Christ. O Lord and our God, you have given us the glorious gospel of our risen Savior. We pray now for the grace to believe what we have heard and the strength by the power of your spirit to live out your truth, to gratefully share it with others, O Lord, and to glorify you with every fiber of our being. Through Christ, our risen and exalted Lord. Amen. Amen.